The first thing I want you to do before we do anything else is work in your groups, okay? You've got some paper and you've got some pens. Now, you need to be creative and imaginative, all right? So, in your group, what I'd like you to do is think for a moment about creating something, an invention, a new invention that would enhance, improve our lives somehow, okay? So think of a new, imagine Dragon's Den, okay? You're going to create something, and um, I'm not going to give you very long to do it at all. Uh, You can talk about it, um, and then somebody who's artistic in your group is going to draw it on the piece of paper for us so that everybody else can see it, okay? So with your invention, what I want you to do is this. I want you to think... What are you creating your invention for? So what's the purpose of it? Okay. What's the purpose of your invention? And then what are the design features of your invention? So you can just, I'll go, just go around each group really quickly and I'll just get you to explain what you've invented. Show us your picture, show and tell, and then tell us what it's for. Okay. I'm only going to give you a few minutes. Off you go. Okay. All right. Are we nearly ready? Are these groups over here? Look. Sorted. That either means you've got the most genius idea and it's just there. Or these guys have got, you know, better. I don't know. (laughs) Right. Are we ready to have a little bit of feedback? Okay. I'm going to start with this group over here. First of all, can I just have a little look at your design? Oh, oh, okay. No? Right, not yet. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Do you want to um, tell us a little bit about what this well, is? Well, there's that age-old problem which everybody's got. They can't scratch their back, their own back. So, hence, turn it around now. <coughs> Our new back stretcher. Fits on your shoulder. Right, what? Yeah, uh, it fits what? on your shoulder, so that's the purple bit. Okay, so you hold it there. Oh, okay. Got a little remote control. Yeah. And a TV screen at the top with a camera on the back so you can see where it just scratches. It goes up and down and scratches. Loads of buttons. You can also massage your back as well. Wow. Button. Now that. There you go. That, that's excellent. Brilliant. Four guys got the problem of, you know, scratching the back. can definitely see. Okay. Like that design. Okay. Lovely. I thought it was going to be something to do cleaning, but okay. <laughs> No, obviously not. Not your problem, eh? No. <laughs> right, okay, next group. Do you want to explain a little bit? Can you see this? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> what is this? It's a to bring In the morning, it's going to bring you chocolate biscuits and a cup of tea. Does it make the chocolate biscuits nice and fresh? Does it do that yeah, as well? Yeah. Oh, it does. And it cleans the windows. Oh, you're just adding things on now, eh? It cleans the windows, it cooks the dinner, it's actually an all-round, everything type of machine that will do it all. Okay, good. Um, any particular design feature that it has on it? Anything? No? What? No, okay, just leave it like that. Okay. Then this group... Um, actually, I think I can. I think I might be able to. Is it something you put on your back? Right, okay. Can I have a little look at this? Okay, so can you explain it to us? 
didn't just appear out of nothing, but actually it must have had a creator to make it. But we'll come to that in a moment. But yeah, you're absolutely right. So basically, I asked you to create an invention. It was for a purpose, okay? Um, the parts that you did would fit together, work together for a purpose in mind, okay? It had all these design features. Um, and uh, if the parts, although, okay, this is a bit sketchy, but let's take a watch. If the parts were um, arranged in a different way, then the invention wouldn't work. It had to be put together just in that way for the purpose of it, the invention to happen. Okay? So basically, this evening, we are going to be looking at what we call the design argument. It's an argument from order, from purpose, from regularity, I suppose, and from design, um, to God as the explanation for this order, purpose, and design. So we look at our universe... And we see so many examples of great design, things that are ordered, things that seem to have some regularity about them, and things having a purpose. And therefore, it goes to the conclusion that there must be intelligent design behind all of this. You could stop there, but this argument goes further because it's obviously a classical argument for God to say that that intelligent design is God. All right? Um, have a little look at this verse, which I think is really interesting and fits in with this, from Romans 1.20. And just in your groups again, maybe just have a chat about what this verse says to us. Okay, so Romans 1 verse 20 says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Anybody want to just shout out and say what that? What is that telling us? What does that mean? We see God in, in creation. Yeah. As we look around, we can see His incredible um, creativity and the way that everything fits so perfectly together and is so intricately interwoven that when one thing goes off, you see that the other bits go off too but have God has held them together in his hand. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's right. Sorry, Richard. If you do, it don't work for um, your own brain, if, 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 um, if you don't you follow the structure of God, things fall to bits. Yeah, I think actually you're right. Yeah, that's right. If we look around us and see the world and the created world, what we see is is creation, we see order, we see design, we see things designed for purpose. And right back, which I think is really interesting in the Bible, um, the Apostle Paul writes this, that kind of like, we're without excuse, even if we had nothing else, if we just look at the world around us, it kind of screams to us the idea of a creator. And um, not only that, but it shows us something perhaps about the nature of that creator as well. Something about the quality, the divine quality. So when we're looking at this argument, this simple um, argument is called the design argument, but the fancy name, and if you like a fancy name, yeah, she would know it. She, she's, you know, she knows it all, this one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> although I didn't teach you, so, you know, there might be gaps. In <laughs> Um, the fancy name for the design argument is called the teleological argument. Okay? Basically, when I said to you last week with the cosmological argument, l- the idea of logical, logos, just means 
um, the idea of study of, the study of something. So last week it was cosmo, the universe. This week the word kelos, the Greek word, kind of means um, purpose or end goal. So aiming towards something. So the theological argument isn't just about looking and saying, wow, the, the natural world is so well designed and so well created and ordered and stuff. But actually, it's designed for a reason, for a purpose. There is an end goal to what's been designed and what's been created. And that's why it's called the teleological argument. This idea of telos, that we have a purpose and we have an end goal that we're all aiming towards, whatever it is, whether it's us or anything in the natural world. And with that, um, I want to give you an an example of um, the idea that things go towards a final goal, that have an end purpose. So when we're thinking about design, we can think design relating to purpose or design relating to regularity and order of things. But St. Thomas Aquinas um, gives us a great example, an, an analogy to think about this. He gives us the idea of an archer and an arrow. If you think about somebody, think about an archer who shoots an arrow, okay? Um, the archer is aiming towards a target, right? And they fire the arrow at the target. So it's got an end destination, it's got an end goal. Now, the arrow can't get to its target without the archer, okay? The archer has to pick the arrow up, has to fire it and get it to its target. And so it's a very simple, basic way of trying to understand the natural world. So he says the arrow um, hits the target, but it doesn't have a mind of its own. It can't do that. But that's the effect. The archer is the cause of that effect. The archer is the one that can think. The archer does have the intelligence, and so it shoots the arrow. In the same way, he says, our natural world follows natural laws. That's like the effect. And he says, someone must have caused the natural world to act in this way. Some sort of intelligence, which he says is God, the cause. So things in our natural world don't have, just take us aside for a moment, because we do have intelligence, but just us out of the equation. Things in the natural world don't have intelligence to think through getting to their purpose and reaching their end goal, but they do. How is that, Thomas Aquinas is saying to us? Well, there must be some sort of intelligent thing directing them to their end goal. Let me give you an example. Okay, um, I'll just go with a simple tree. I think it's there somewhere. There it is. <laughs> so if you just think of a tree, okay, the tree um, knows when to shed its leaves, okay? So we see that all around us with the seasons, the trees shed their leaves and they grow their leaves, da, 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 da. It does all of that. But it doesn't have the intelligence. It's not stood there thinking, oh, right, today I'm going to shed my leaves. No, it doesn't think like that, does it? But it does it. And so you could pick out a number of different things in the natural world that have this regularity, that have this order. Now, what is directing that? Okay, what is directing those natural laws? And one of the arguments to this argument could be that actually it's God. God sets that order out from the outset, that regularity. So what I'd like you to do now in your groups again is just have a little chat amongst yourselves and try and think of an example of something in the natural world that doesn't think, doesn't have intelligence, but is directed towards its goal or its purpose, just like I said about the tree shedding its leaves. So just have a little chat and I'll ask you in a moment. So anything else in the natural world that goes towards its end goal? Off you go. 
Have we got some examples? I'm going to start with this group. Okay, some example in the natural world of something going towards its purpose at Zengal. I went to Durban this afternoon and saw house martins, we think, all flying round because they're about to go off for the end of the season and they know sort of when to do the temperature, I suppose, or I think that's, a, that's that is quite amazing, that isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah, it's amazing. So you can, no, it's just, oh, okay. I thought you had a great example as well that you were going to share. Oh, okay, okay, that's a really good example. This group. Um, bees. Bees. Yeah. Uh, no, they know, like, they, like, go to flowers and they think, oh, this smells nice, but then they, like, pick up the pollen and go and distribute it and stuff. And so without bees, like, why do they know to do that? Like, Absolutely. pollinate. Good one. Yeah, bees. Good, bees. <laughs> Excellent. This group? Birds, birds, okay. Yeah, tell them when they do the nest and they're just saying, you know, what makes them, you know, they do They do. They just instinctively, that's what they do. Um, yeah, good, excellent. And, and they provide for their young and all of that. It's just, yeah, absolutely good. It's good. The bears that go and hibernate in the winter because they know it's cold. Yeah. Hibernation. Yeah, no, absolutely. So just that whole whatever creature does that, hibernation, that, that they need to go and do that. I'm always, um, I always think it's remarkable. My mum and dad's taught us that he goes into hibernation and then we're always a bit worried like will he come back out but he does <laughs> and he's alright so yeah that's, that's really good you can have anything like that you know I think the whole caterpillar into butterflies is an amazing um, you know thing I mean look at that that's just incredible gravity anything of the natural laws photosynthesis all those different things um, evolution even and whatever we think about evolution but if we could throw that in um, you know you, that, that's got a uh, an end goal, okay? So all those things, and Thomas Aquinas says this, um, for their behaviour hardly ever varies and will practically always turn out well. This is about anything that we've just been talking about, which shows that they truly tend to a goal and do not merely hit it by accident. Hence it is plain that they achieve their end, not fortuitously, like accidentally, but designedly. Nothing that lacks awareness tends to a goal except under the direction of someone with awareness and understanding. And that's one of the first kind of arms of the argument, that actually things head towards a goal, an end destination. Things have a purpose. And if you don't have an intelligence, how does that even happen? Okay? Um, if it's just by chance, if it's just an accident, it just seems a bit like, how would that happen? Now, with us, people could argue against the whole thing with humanity, because I suppose you could say, well, we do have an intelligence, some of us. <laughs> I'm sure about me most of the time, but we do. And we can head towards our own end goals and our, and, and our own purpose. But I would want to say still, um, just like Thomas Aquinas says, uh, it, it still doesn't answer the question of the why. Okay? So why are we here? Whereas God does, and I was talking about that last week, it doesn't, we can have a lot of answers with science about the how, how we're here and how we're created and, you know, how this has all happened. Science puts forward all its different ideas and, and we would go along with that, but it can't answer really the why question 
of, well, why are we here? But an intelligence of God does answer that why question, that purpose um, of why we're here. Okay, so that's kind of like one of the elements of the design argument, just saying that the natural world um, has a purpose, all those things you've just given examples of. Surely there would be some sort of intelligence behind that, setting all of that off and keeping the natural laws of our world in order and in place. The second part is to do with um, is still to do with purpose and order and design, but looking at the complexity of things. So I've, given, I've got an example here of the eye and the idea of the watchmaker that Lisa was talking about before. Um, the watches compared to the eye of the complexity of something like this and the structure of all those different elements coming together for the purpose of being able to see. Could that have just happened? Could that just be an accident? Or does it need some sort of intelligence, first of all, to have created that? Um, so that's a, that's a really, really good example. Now, I've got another example, and in a moment, I want you to think of some examples. Something that just, and I know we've just said stuff that blows our minds a bit, but I want you to think of this as anything in nature that really blows your mind when you look at how complex it is or how well designed it is. Now, I've just, because I'm leading, I can be indulgent, and I've chosen my favourite, okay? I'm a bit of a David Attenborough fan and so I like watching all those programs and um, I've got a little video clip that I'm just going to show you now and it's of the lyrebird now if you've ever seen this you'll know exactly why I've chosen this but this for me um, is a great example of something that blows my mind about great design in the world and you get thinking about your example but Mike are you alright just putting that on for me um, so we can just see that little clip What bird has the most elaborate, the most complex, the most beautiful song in the world? Well, I guess there are lots of contenders, but this bird must be one of them. The superb lyrebird of South Australia. He clears a space in the forest to serve as his concert platform. <whistles> to persuade females to come close and admire his plumes, he sings the most complex song he can manage. And he does that by copying the songs of all the other birds he hears around him, such as the kookaburra. It's a very convincing impersonation. Even the original is fooled. He can imitate the calls of at least 20 different species. He also, in his attempt to outsing his rivals, incorporates other sounds that he hears in the forest. That was a camera shutter. 
and again. And now a camera with a motor drive. And that's a car alarm. And now the sounds of foresters and their chainsaws working nearby. can just mimic those sounds of like, you know, whatever it is in, in the forest that it's heard. Um, something like that just blows my mind. I think, wow, um, if only it was that easy to find a mate that you could just <laughs> stand there and make camera sounds. Anyway, moving on. Um, I want you to think about something that blows your mind in the world, natural world, of just amazing complexity of design. Just chat to the person next to you. Off you go. Um, brilliant. Let's have a little think. Anybody got an example? Sorry, I just realised I forgot to give you your sheets, but this is just following my PowerPoint. And if I put some pens out, so if you did want to make some notes as, as you go, sorry, that should have, I should have given you that at the beginning. Um, any, exa- any other examples than what we had before, but so anything that just blows your mind in, in the creative world? animals whether it be fish or birds, go back to the same place. You know, they can go halfway around the world, but yet they still find their way up that little creek somewhere yeah. to spawn. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mind these yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. I was just saying today in Sunday, Sunday Mail, which we have, um, there's four pages on the map. How complex the map is. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Got to read it to believe it. Yeah. And that's four pages probably really summarise, I bet. You know, if you, if it was in depth, you'd have a whole book on the mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Wow. Amazing. Yeah, just something, just one element, one feature of us, like I said, the eye or the mouth or however it is. Yeah. Anything else? I think it's amazing the way different animals can adapt to their environment. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, because it's not as easy to parrot and that. Parrot columns somewhere where they um, the, the food around them is berries, but it's poisonous. So they know every evening to go to this cliff face where's this stuff. Um, I don't know what it is, something that that um, combats the berries they eat. Wow! But yeah. it, so keep them healthy. Yeah, to keep them to stop it, them getting poisoned. Yeah. So and there's, there's um, lots of. Um, uh, how animals adapt to different their environments. Yeah, the adaption yeah, of animals, they're absolutely. All different. Yeah. Didn't create every animal the same. Yeah, all, yeah, excellent. I mean, there's so many examples. We could go on and on, couldn't we, sharing our examples all evening about just things that have just looked so well designed and so ordered and, and have a purpose. And of uh, course, when we were looking at the premises of the argument or the steps of the argument, it would look a little bit. Um, in its really simplistic form like this. The universe is orderly, and order seems to be the result of design. Design presupposes intelligence. 
As the universe is also complex in design, there must be a complex intelligence which designed it. Therefore, this superior intelligence is God. Now, of course, it makes a jump to that. Um, you know, you would, could stop at the intelligent designer and, and many people say, okay, well, this might prove some sort of intelligence, but, well, how do you know it's your God and your Christian God? And I, I guess other people would say other things, but it might suggest that there's intelligence. There's some sort of intelligent designer, at least, anyway. I want to give you two other principles that you can add to this design argument just to strengthen it again um, before we look at something else. This is the anthropic principle. And um, you might not know its term, but you'll understand it really easily. It basically is the fact that how could everything come together just by chance, really? Because everything is so finely tuned. The universe is so finely tuned. Um, The cosmos is constructed for the development of intelligent life. A minute change in the values of, for instance, something like the strong nuclear force, then intelligent life would have been unlikely to develop. Um, So I've just given you some examples. You can see them on your your paper. I've just picked out a few, okay, Um, about the different things on our planet. Like, for example, water um, and the fact that it forms into ice. Okay, and ice is less dense, so ice is able to float. But if it didn't do that, then um, our planet would uh, experience runaway freezing. Okay, um, or you could think about the Earth's atmosphere and just the right amount of gases in our Earth's atmosphere um, to help us to live the way that we live. All right, I'm not going to read them all out, but um, or you could pick out something like the Earth's magnetic field. If it were just a bit weaker or just a bit stronger, we wouldn't be here. Um, or our, our place in the solar system, um, if, it were too far, if it were just a little bit further away from the sun or a little bit closer, it would just be too cold or too hot and we wouldn't be able to sustain life. Or you could go to something like the colour of our sun, which, which helps to produce photosynthesis. That's just a few. Okay, just picked out some random ones. But that's what the anthropic principle basically is saying. It's saying that, look how finely tuned it is. Um, and that everything has come together just so to create this intelligent life um, and the chances of that happening just by random chance um, is so small, okay? Uh, so that's quite a good one to know, the anthropic principle, um, just the fine-tuning of the universe. And then you've got also what we call the aesthetic principle. And um, I suppose if you, know, you wanted to go down the line uh, if we were looking purely at evolution, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not against evolution at all, but like if we were just holding on to that, then, then you kind of ask yourself the question of why do then we have the ability to appreciate such other things? So humans possess the ability to appreciate beauty um, of its surroundings and beauty of music and literature and the arts and all these different things, and yet it's not necessary for survival or for the development of life. So if you think about evolution, if it was purely we just evolved by accident, by chance, and we've just evolved, then actually that's all about survival of the fittest. Evolution is all about just surviving and just preserving life. But that's not what we're just about. Actually, we have this other aspect of our lives that really appreciates other things and that isn't necessarily going to enhance 
anything. He isn't going to help us to survive any longer. It isn't going to give us any kind of benefit over anybody else. And yet we've got it. Um, and so perhaps that could be just another thing that points to a designer, that points to an intelligence, that God actually has given us the ability to be able to appreciate beauty and see those things um, that maybe evolution on its own wouldn't have, wouldn't have given us. Okay? So that's the design argument. Does that make sense? Okay. So what I want you to think about now in your groups is this. Um, what arguments could people use against this argument? Okay, so it all sounds great. And if you were explaining it to somebody, um, you'd be like, well, the complexity, the order, the regularity, the anthropic principle, da-da-da-da, all this. But of course, if we put our atheist hats on, um, somebody might want to say, oh yeah, but what about this? Or what about that? And I want you to think about what those things might be in your groups. Okay? Off you go. We're going to, like I said this morning, we will end up with more questions than answers. Okay? It's kind of the nature of philosophy. And we all, we hold that intention all the time, don't we? And I guess we are here as a Christian community having had an experience of God. And therefore, that is something that you can't really explain to somebody. Um, they need that experience themselves. So there's always a faith element. But we will try our best to see if we can um, answer any of these difficulties that people might put towards this argument. So anybody just want to shout out um, anything? Well, I'll start with this group. Anything that you think somebody might say if we were trying to put this argument forward against it? I see some, some people say amazing things do happen by chance. So if you have a Big Bang, it was such a one-off, catastrophic thing that it could happen by chance. Absolutely, yeah. There's a famous um, uh, analogy there about, you know, that often somebody of faith might say, or like, you know, if if I dealt a pack of cards out right now, um, the chances of me dealing, and then I shuffle them and dealing the exact same order of cards is just like, that's not going to happen again. But it doesn't stop it from happening in the first place. And uh, I guess that, that is an argument that people would say, yeah, but we're here and it did happen. And just the right combination of things did happen to you know, create this universe. And yeah, you can't really argue against that, I suppose. That, that, is, that is right, it could. Um, just like me dealing out the cards. Yeah. Okay, um, anything else over there? I'll talk. <laughs> um, Lisa gets extra cake on the way out. <laughs> um, we were saying that if it was in, if the world was created by such an intelligent designer, why do bad things happen? So why are there tsunamis? Why are there earthquakes? Why do volcanoes explode? Why do floods happen? Why does it? Why do you know? Why is there famines? Why is why do, you know, the list goes yes, on? The list goes on. <laughs> yes. Um, so as like, much as we could say there's good design and order and yeah. complexity in the world, why is there still there's bad. There's flaws with the yeah. yeah, that's absolutely right. And we could sit here and we could make a whole list of evidence in the universe that actually looks like it could be bad design. Um, you know, why do these natural disasters happen? Why do these things happen? Um, surely, if there was a God, that wouldn't be the case. Okay, good. Anything over here different to those? We, we like yeah, same thing. <laughs> yeah, you're going to go. It's always better to go after, eh? Let the other groups go first. Um, I think they're the t- they are the two main 
main things. Um, it could be chance and, it, and evil and suffering. Yeah, good. Anything else? Absolutely, that's it. You know, when you look around, um, and if any of you ever watch Stephen Fry's um, podcast or anything like that, he's, uh, he speaks quite, um, you know, quite a lot and uh, about, quite avidly about that point exactly. Why do we have disease? You know, what is, what's the purpose? What's the point of that when you create a universe without that, if you were God? Anything else? <laughs> I was going to go with that. Yes, absolutely. Okay, um, I'm going to focus on, on even suffering then and have a little look at that because I think that is one of the biggest things and um, it's, it's difficult and there's no easy... I'm not going to say I've got easy answers here at all. But um, when we talk about evil, evil, we have two categories of evil. We've got moral evil and natural evil. That, you might know that already. That's just basically moral evil is anything that humans do. Humans cause it. Um, natural evil is anything that's not caused by humans, so the natural disasters that you are talking about before. Um, when it comes to moral evil, then I guess it's easier to explain. You can just say, actually, moral evil is humans. You know, we can blame other people for moral evil. So um, that is not something, I guess, we have to explain so much because, you know, people decide to do things, they choose, they've got free will, and they do bad stuff. But natural evil is the problem for this argument. Because if we're talking about good design, if we're talking about order and complexity and purpose, then when we look at the natural world and we see things that don't look so great, then how do we answer that? Okay. So, again, and this is just my final thing this evening, but just before I speak, in your groups again, what answer would you come up with if you had to create an answer? To say, well, how can there still be a God and all this natural evil in the world? Could we have a response to that? Okay, off you go, just in your groups again. Is there a response we can make to that? Let's have a little look then and just see if we come up with any responses ourselves. I just want to um, make a point first of all, and it's just because I was here listening to what Sue was saying actually, just triggered something. Of course, with evil and suffering, it's such a sensitive topic. And so I just heard you say about the fact that, you know, if you were ever sat with someone going through suffering um, of, of a nature of disease or sickness, of course, these aren't the things that you would say to them, you know, um, because people don't need to hear your arguments for why there's evil and suffering. Um, they just need your love and, and your support. And actually, sometimes the best thing to say is, look, I, I've got no idea... This, you know, um, this, it's miserable and, and this is horrid and it's horrid that we live in a world where this happens. But, you know, I'm here for you. And, and, and that is the response, not some well-crafted argument for why evil and suffering might be in the world. Um, but, of course, it's good for us to think through these things ourselves just to think about um, why that might be the case. And just, you know, we call it apologetics, don't we? Just to have some sort of reasonable um, thinking through of these big questions, because they are big questions. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out, really. So any, any responses, then? Um, I'm going to start with this group first. Okay, any responses that you would make if someone said, well, what about all the natural evil in the world? You do find that a lot of the natural disasters as we call them are part of 
the, the flow of nature and they do actually have a, a reason and an effect in nature. The problem is though is that where we know these things happen, man in his greed, if you like, has kind of pushed aside what God has, has set in place. So you've got things like um, San Francisco built on a, an earthquake fault. When there's an earthquake, there is a lot of suffering. People turn around and say, why did God allow all these people to die? Why did all the people build their houses on an earthquake fault? Yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's a good point, and, and that, I've got that on, on part of my, um, my notes as well. This whole idea of, well, a natural disaster of course, is not evil in itself at all. An earthquake isn't evil within itself, not intrinsically evil, a volcano isn't, um, a tsunami isn't. They're, they're, the evil comes from the consequence that they bring. Um, and of course, if, if the world and the earth is regulated in a natural way, it can't just stop being regulated in that way. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a really valid point. I mean, like I say, it's not the sort of thing you'd say for someone who's suffered in an earthquake, but... It is a valid point um, that actually those things are just part of the, the natural world and actually it's needed as well for, to regulate. Yeah, okay, good, all right, this group over here. Well, when God created the world, it was good. But it's, since man's been in it, a lot more happens. You know, all big wells and all different things in the world that has a cause in the pollution, you know, for disease, you know. Absolutely. There's a, there's a couple of things there actually that I pick out from that. One, you know, we, it depends how you interpret the creation story and how you think things were at the outset or not, but there is the argument that we, we did have a perfect world. It was created good and there wasn't disease and there wasn't death and there wasn't sickness but subsequently because of the fall we do have a world which is, is, is not ideal and God didn't want this world didn't want disease, didn't want death, didn't want sickness um, and so we're living with the consequence of that there's also another point I think you were making there about the fact that yeah we do a lot as humans to cause things that can be seen as natural you know, um, but actually we've kind of caused that. Mm. Um, so our pollution, for example, has caused sickness and disease. Our, I don't know, eating habits has, you know, led to that or whatever it is, a whole load of different things. Um, so our, what we've done can still be part of what's to blame for the natural disasters or natural evil that we see. Yeah, okay, good point. This group... Yeah, building on that, we were talking about the fall and how um, God made the world perfect, but actually in humans bringing sin into the world and, you know, bad stuff happening as part of that, actually it wasn't just about the consequences for man, but it was the consequences for earth. And in Genesis 3 it says, you know, cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life, it will produce thorns and thistles. Or you, you know, and, and actually, it was part of the consequence of the original sin that actually, you know, it went beyond man, but actually, the world became cursed because of um, what Adam and Eve had done, and so it was because yeah. of that. 
And you could, you could see it as that one, that one thing, that one time of sin, and therefore it's like this. Or you could see it representing actually a bigger symbolic picture of just what you were saying, Paul, about actually, you know, every, every time we choose to do wrong things, every time we make that choice and we do wrong, it's kind of like this is the consequence of, of moving away from God. This is the consequence of not doing what God wants you to do. This is how it's going to pan out. It's not just for one time, original sin, and therefore we're living with all that. There is that interpretation, but you could even extend it out to say we're living in a continuing fallen world because we're continuing to move away from God and make wrong choices. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else? Not really, because we more or less saying what Paul yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you've basically covered a lot of um, what I'm going to say, but um, just quickly, I'll I'll, I'll finish off with a few of my thoughts and my points. Um, Absolutely, I put the whole idea of living in a fallen world, um, not God's intention for us, but here we are. Um, And, you know, we've we've ended up in this place. You could put, you know, you can't have good in the world without evil. Everything has an opposite um, to make sense. You know, you you can't have courage if you don't have fear. You can't have light if you don't have darkness. So you could just go with the basic thought, well, if there's good, there's got to be bad. Um, And then you could go a little bit further and talk about the aesthetic principle, you know, that actually... Is there the need to have evil so that we see good? Now, you might completely disagree with that, but it's a point that could be made. Um, And if we think that everything has to have an opposite, which kind of it (coughs) does really, in a sense, to make sense of things, then that might be able to explain a little bit why we have both. Nicole? Yeah. Um, It's a really interesting point, that, and when we do this lesson in schools, actually that's a lot of what young people come back to, is the fact that in order to see good, they need to see the evil, and actually, because they don't think they would, if they lived in a world where everything was good, you wouldn't appreciate the good. And so, in schools, like that train of thought is very, very alive that actually the bad stuff is needed in order to have the good, because life would be boring if there was bad stuff. The first time a kid said that to me, I was like, "All right then, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll work on that." But. <laughs> That is a real I point. I do think it makes sense in their thinking. Yeah, that, it, that, it that's is a thing, logical yeah. argument for them. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. No, you're right, and, and that's a good point to make, that they can see that sort of, it kind of makes sense in their thinking that, yeah, we see the good because we've got the evil and we have that opposite there. Um, okay, something popped in my head then and it's gone, but I might be able to remember it. Um, well, you could also say man's free will um, can cause natural evil to occur and God won't take away our free will. Um, I think that's a little bit what you were alluding to there, Paul, when you, and you guys were saying that actually, you know, we were joking before about being eco-warriors and about the environment, but actually um, we've done a lot to destroy the environment and the atmosphere of our world and we have created this mess that we seem to be in. Um, and so, you know, you could say, well, a lot of the natural disasters that happen is still our, our, our problem and our fault. You know, you think about famine um, or anything like that, maybe that's been caused because of climate change. Climate change has happened because we haven't been responsible stewards of the earth that God gave us and he asked us to be. So, 
there, there's that response as well um, that you could make, uh, that, that actually we have more of a part to play than we realise. And of course, from the outset of creation, the free will defence argument is so massive that God gave us free will and that he wasn't going to take that away from us. And that was really, really important because he wanted us to be able to freely choose to do right and freely choose to worship him, that he wasn't going to create us as puppets or robots, because what kind of world would that be? But of course the downside to free will is that we will make mistakes and we might make wrong choices. But because God set that up in the world, then can he really intervene to then take that away from us and change things? Now, of course, there's a whole other argument there when it comes to prayer, but I'm not going to go into that right now. But if we've got free will, then, um, you know, that's, that's something that's important that God's given us and we sometimes make wrong, make, we make wrong choices. Um, you could argue that perhaps evil has a purpose and that it helps us to grow and develop into the likeness of God. We, we're made in, in God's image, but we're forever growing into his likeness. Do we have to go through things? Um, to actually grow and become more like God. Maybe evil and suffering are necessary for us to grow in power, freedom and knowledge. Um, Now, of course, I think to a certain extent we're all going to agree with that. I think if you come across somebody and they've never ever suffered in their life, well, it'd probably be impossible to meet someone like that. But if they were wrapped in cotton wool and they'd never, like, you know, ever been out in the real world or not suffered, um, I'm not sure they're going to be the best person Um, but actually sometimes the suffering that we go through and the pain and difficulties can shape us and mould us and make us and um, it's used to make us a better person the flip side to that of course is well yeah to a certain extent we might go with that but when you see how much sometimes people suffer and how depth of the suffering actually that's not always the greatest argument and it doesn't always wash when you've got real desperate cases it's okay when it's you know maybe a little bit here a little bit there but when it's really desperate um you kind of go really did that is that really you know worth it um and i don't have any answers for that it's difficult but it's something that you could could put forward that of course you know, there is a certain amount that we need to go through perhaps to, to make us who we need to be. But then, of course, you could completely argue against that if we'd never fallen in the first place and we were in a perfect world. Yeah. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Sorry, just throwing that out there. Okay, um, and finally just looking at these things. Natural disasters, this is what you think you were saying, um, aren't evil within themselves, but they do have bad consequences. So, yeah. Um, Natural laws in the world can't just be changed. Otherwise, we'd never know how to understand the world and wouldn't be able to make any predictions about the world. God created natural laws of the universe and they have to remain. So that's quite a good one, you know, because if God just kept intervening and changing the way the natural laws of the world, we'd never be able to know what was going on. Like, how are we supposed to live in a world like that? Do you remember the advert? Um, This is, you guys might not. But we probably all will. Remember the advert of Mr. Soft, the mints, and Mr. Soft would walk along the, the pavement, and everything, he, everything was soft, so he'd bash into a, a lamppost or something, but it was fine because it was soft, and you know, yeah? No, no, everyone's looking at <laughs> Okay, um, but basically, um, he never got hurt because it was soft mints, and he was soft, and the world was soft. But 
actually that, we can't live in a world like that. We couldn't live in a world that if I walked into a lamppost, God suddenly made it soft and I wouldn't get hurt. Um, or like, if you had a knife and you were going to stab someone, suddenly it went soft. Because like, <laughs> then you can't, you can't work with the natural laws. Like we have to have certain things so we know, we have a knowledge and we can predict things and we know how things are going to happen. So in a way, you could say that about the natural world. It's got natural laws, and, and that's how it works, and that's how it's governed. And if they were suddenly changed all the time, how, how are we supposed to understand things and know anything? How would we ever be able to predict the weather, which we love to do? Um, <laughs> okay, uh, just briefly then, we might see evil as pointless, but perhaps we can't see everything. God's ways are higher than ours. Um, yeah, I, I think this is important as well. Sometimes we just don't understand it, do we? And that actually God sees a bigger picture. I mean, just look at many of the Bible characters that we have that went through evil and suffering. Just take Joseph and his technical dream coat. Think of all the things that he went through. But it all did have a purpose um, to get him to the place he needed to be. There was an end goal, a telos of his life. Um, so in, from the outset, it might look, why do you have to go through that? Why do you have to go through that? But then it had a reason. And... Um, in the natural world, it could seem quite the same. I'm just going to quickly show you a little clip. Mike, are you all right to put that on? I know time is ticking away, but I'm, I'm going to finish in a moment. Um, but this is something of the natural world that looks like it's out of science fiction. It's David Attenborough again. Of course it is. Um, and um, it, it seems quite evil. It seems, doesn't seem great, but then he explains it. So are you all right just to put that on? that all insects live in jungles. Few are more successful than the ants. There can be eight million individuals in a single hectare. But jungle ants don't have it all their own way. These bullet ants are showing some worrying symptoms. Spores from a parasitic fungus called cordyceps have infiltrated their bodies and their minds. Its infected brain directs this ant upwards. Then, utterly disorientated, it grips a stem with its mandibles. Those afflicted that are discovered by the workers are quickly taken away and dumped far away from the colony. It seems extreme, but this is the reason why. Like something out of science fiction, the fruiting body of the cordyceps erupts from the ant's head. It can take three weeks to grow, and when finished, the deadly spores will burst from its tip. Then, any ant in the vicinity will be in serious risk of death. The fungus is so virulent, it can wipe out whole colonies of ants. And it's not just ants that fall victim to this killer. There are, literally, thousands of different types of cordyceps fungi, and remarkably, each specializes on just one species.
But these attacks do have a positive effect on the jungle's diversity, since parasites like these stop any one group of animal getting the upper hand. The more numerous a species becomes, the more likely it will be attacked by its nemesis, a cordyceps fungus. I should have warned you a little bit more about those images. Um, I think that's quite fascinating. I find it quite fascinating watching that. But seeing these, you know, the cordyceps, uh, it's just, uh, you look at that and you go, why, why, why would somebody design that into the universe? When you look at the natural world, or even things like the food chain, or whatever it is, you just think, what? But then, like David Attenborough said, although it seems a little bit pointless to us, there's a reason behind it, that it regulates the, the jungle so that there isn't one species that, you know, um, takes over. So what might seem like it doesn't make sense to us, perhaps with God seeing the bigger picture, it does make sense. Um, oh, okay. Going back to the end. Um, yeah. And just finally, of course, um, the response for, for us thinking about, actually, this isn't just this isn't everything like you know we believe in an afterlife now of course if you're talking to someone who doesn't believe in God that doesn't wash with them but for us in our justification of thinking this is only a fraction of our life this is just a moment it's just a glimpse in the bigger picture when actually there will be a time when there won't be any sorrow there won't be any tears there won't be any sadness there won't be any sickness but the afterlife will kind of be the ideal the new heaven new earth um so like I said, you know, that's something that we have a hope for. And then finally I put Jesus, because in, in the great scheme of things of evil and suffering, um, you know, we have a God who knows what it is to suffer. And I think if I was speaking to anybody, this aside from arguing against this argument or whatever, but is that actually we have a God that is with us in our suffering, that doesn't abandon us, doesn't leave us, but actually is demonstrated in the very nature that he came down to earth um, and uh, walked on, on the earth and demonstrated his great love for us on the cross. And for me, that's the kind of biggest thing that, you know, we don't have this far-off God, a transcendent God that's just out there watching us suffer. We have a God who says, I'm right with you in the suffering. Um, which I think is the most beautiful thing. But I'm going to leave you with one final point, and this actually, I'm not going to labour on it because it kind of crosses over into our next argument next week, but it's um, this. And obviously I, I've got great respect and admiration for C.S. Lewis. We all love the Chronicles of Narnia, but he was a great theologian. And um, he was an atheist, and he calls himself the most reluctant Christian <laughs> ever. But he... Um, he he was a Christian but he said this my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust but how had I got this idea of just and unjust what was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust of course I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own but if I did that then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. And I kind of like this idea that Lewis is giving to us 
about actually, if we look at the universe and we think about the evil and we think oh, it's unjust, how do we even come to that thought? Because if the universe is by accident and it's just random chance and it's just the evolution, um, how do we get that feeling that things are wrong and things are unjust? Where does that standard, that idea come from? Um, and so I'll just leave you with this. Lewis recognised that modern objections to God are based on a sense of fair play and justice. But evil, uh, evil, evolution and natural selection depends on death, destruction and violence. So why would we think this unfair, unjust or wrong? How can we be outraged by injustice? I think that's an interesting question. You know, because the evolution is all about survival of the fittest. It's all about, you know, just fighting to stay alive. It's, it is, you know, eat or be eaten kind of thing. Um, so why would we think this was unfair and unjust? If we are sure the natural world is evil and unjust, we are assuming the reality of some extra natural or supernatural standard by which to make a judgment interesting idea and like I said I'm going to kind of leave that hanging because that's kind of what we're looking at next week um, if you can make it next week to look at this whole idea of, of good and morality as another reason for God's existence so like I said it's not always simple with lots of answers there's always a hundred questions to one answer but hopefully that's given you some food for thought and giving you a few things that maybe you haven't thought about just to equip us again in our reasoning and our thinking about God's existence um, and just a bit of fodder perhaps for us to put in our bags if that makes sense <laughs> alright okay God bless you all have a nice rest of the evening and hopefully you'll be back next week to join us for our last argument for God's existence <laughs>